this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Manichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And Jay, before we get into this episode, I just want to say one of the highlights is the Discord channel. We've talked about it before. The I did not expect that the channel to get the most 2022 conversation is the Our Lady Peace channel. <laughs> it is like off the rails with our lady peace discussion uh, that was not expected there is some there is a lot of our lady peace opinions in our discord <laughs> um i mean i guess we're pretty well balanced in terms of like we've got a, some canadians we've got some americans we've got some australians so i don't know maybe our lady peace like crosses all boundaries all borders it does it does and angers all borders, apparently, based on which albums you're talking about. <laughs> and there, and we, we only have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, seven, 12, maybe 12 to 15 band-specific channels. Mm-hmm. So it's also kind of a, a lens into, like, what bands in our, our little um, Patreon group get the most heat. But yeah, Our Lady Peace is lit up quite a bit, along with Failure. Now, our, our guest, maybe he can explain uh, he's coming from the Great White North. Uh, welcome back, Johnny Hooper. Uh, you are our representative, one of our representatives of Canada. Can you explain? Is, is this like, is Our Lady Peace a daily discussion for most Canadians? <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's, it's all but a distant memory for us. Except for Discord. Interesting. That's fascinating. Yeah. Maybe they should do a, um, you know how like people perform in Fortnite? You know, artists? Maybe we should have uh, Our Lady Peace perform in our Discord channel yeah. for, uh, for their fans. We got voice channels. We could do that. Yeah. Have a live stream. Uh, they'll take that gig. <laughs> well, they just played a bar here in Columbus that I've played. So you know that they're, it's a small venue. Have you been to Ace of Cups? Yeah. Yeah. What's what's that venue like? Uh, it's a cool venue. It actually has. I've seen Wire there, and I've seen Juliana Hatfield, among other artists there, and it has a big open floor that probably holds like a hundred people easy, and then if you want to pack another fifty in, and then it has a second floor balcony that probably another fifty people can stand in. So it's a small venue. I mean, it's not huge. Uh, it has a nice sized bar, which is nice, like a big bar, and it has a barbecue uh, truck right behind it. So you can go out, sit on the patio, eat some barbecue, wait for the band to start with a beer. And um, Wire was really good when I saw them there, and Julian Hatfield was really good when I saw her there. So, And I've seen other like local bands play there as well. Uh, but it's a good venue, yeah. And I, when uh, other bands of similar size come through columbus they usually play 
that venue. That's like the last of like sort of the independent uh, smaller venues left in Columbus. Although Shiner are playing Columbus in the spring, Jay, and they're playing at the old, old fields that we used to play at, which is now called Space Bar. Oh my goodness. Now they've completely redone the, like the, the stage is not where the stage used to be. Yeah. But uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. You see Shiner in Old Fields or now it's Space Bar. Pretty which, small uh, place. It's a small place. That's going to be loud. Yeah, Speaking of will, loud. That will blow your face off. It will. It will blow your face off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this band could get loud that we're going to talk about here. Uh, but our guest should be the one introduced it because this is the album that he, su- he su- selected for 2022. Mr. Hooper. For my January 2022 selection, I have selected the debut record from Detroit, Michigan's own The White Stripes. I've heard of this band. <laughs> <laughs> this, little, this little outfit. I was actually pretty excited when you picked them because I didn't realize that this album came out in 99. I thought it was I a know. 2000 record. I know. I, I could just tell i could like through telepathy i can <laughs> feel your excitement well and it was one of those records where i mean this is the tip of a whole new iceberg mm. with this record that about what's coming in the 2000s so it's going to be an interesting record to talk about did you discover the band on this record or did you discover them later and they have to go back no yeah i mean like most people it was uh it was white blood cells and um and kind of and i didn't go um, immediately even with white blood cells because i just felt at the time too kitschy for me i just thought it was a little too gimmicky and i wasn't really buying in initially so it took Mm. me another maybe two years even to to kind of really get on board and then you know travel back and and really get into everything that they were doing and um no initially i wasn't really buying into it to be honest with you interesting yeah jay was that also the same period in which you discovered the band was it the fell in love with the girl lego video and that single i'm pretty sure what was cd 101 played the hell out of it at the time yeah i want to say i was aware of the band it is distilled the second yeah yeah more around that time i mean it could have been this time because i was this was probably like, I sound like an old man, but this felt like the last super exciting moment for rock music. <laughs> this kind of late 90s, early 2000s when you had action rock and Detroit garage rock and just this whole new scene emerging. And they were one of the bands amongst many others, like the Bon Bondies and the Go and a bunch of Detroit bands and then obviously all the Scandinavian bands that I was into at the time. So those those scenes kind of intermingled a bit and you would, you know, they would tour together, you would they'd be written about together. Um so I came across them around that 99, 2000 period. Okay. That I was probably um aware of the band like you were Johnny with regards to white blood cells. Although I, I do recall that this band played a lot in Ohio and Columbus because Columbus had a pretty dirty bluesy scene in the nineties. One of the bands that 
I, a lot of people actually compare to the White Stripes are the Bass Holes, which were a two-piece guitar and drum band um, with Don Howland and um, a couple different drummers. But Don Howland was the singer, and they were doing dirty blues in, in a very similar style, more and, and also in the folk end of things because Don Howland had come out of a band called the Gibson Bros, um, which was like a four-piece traditional country like upright bass very folky doing traditional carter family songs alongside their own originals and and whatnot so there was a scene here in columbus for the white stripes to tap into uh when they were touring and they would probably play bernie's and then um later on little brothers in places and then i actually saw um jack white solo <laughs> years later when he was touring his first solo record at nationwide arena like that's that's interesting a progression for him to be playing bernie's in the in the late 90s early 2000s which is a underground club that holds 50 people there's exposed pipe things are dripping it's a it's hor it was it was could be horrifying if you weren't prepared for it because it was <laughs> so scary in there at times and then seeing him in a 20,000 seat basketball hockey arena uh, you know, 15 years later is is kind of nuts. Um, but in terms of uh, our Patreon community, uh, they had some interesting things to say. I actually should mention, uh, welcome back to Scott Witt. He has rejoined us after a, after a cool. hiatus. Yep. Uh, welcome back, Scott. Glad to have your voice back as a part of the community. Um, but let's get into some of our Patreon folks. Um, Here's what they had to say. Uh, Darren Leach said, hard to believe this was released in the 90s. I know, we'll get into it. I discovered the White Stripes in the early 2000s on their third album, White Blood Cells, just like us. I went backwards to discover the two previous albums. I haven't listened to this in well over 15 years, but enjoyed it all the way through. The rawness really stands out, and I was surprised I lasted all 17 tracks. Where are the album? Nerdy facts, he added. The original 1999 vinyl pressing drops three tracks. The Big Three Killed My Baby, Sugar Never Tasted So Good, and One More Cup of Coffee, the Bob Dylan cover. Yet they appear on the CD and then the vinyl repressings. That's interesting. I guess because maybe the original wouldn't fit all on one vinyl. I'm not sure. Or maybe he just didn't want those songs on there. Um, Kyle Butler said, like Darren, I discovered the White Stripes, White Stripes on White Blood Cells. and went back from there. This is a solid album. And even though it sounds raw, there is an energy that runs throughout. Even in the early stages of their career, they seem like they had something to prove. Were the album all the way? Gavin says, okay, firstly, thanks, Johnny. There you go. For suggesting this, I haven't heard it in years. I was on board at the time, but dropped off and became a bit of a greatest hits guy, unfortunately. I'll give this a worthy album, although it was teetering on the edge of EP as some of the songs... I use that term loosely, are a little self-indulgent and sometimes could be the same song. But this is stripped back rock and roll, and the world needs more of that. Although if it's a bit although it's a bit of a one-trick pony, it's a trick I enjoy. Uh and then Ian McIver said, Worthy album for me. This is the White Stripes at their rawest and closest to the Detroit sound from the band. Even Jack White has commented that they never topped their first album. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend checking out the podcast Striped, the story of the White Stripes, produced by Jack White's Third Man Records. The first season is a 20th anniversary retrospective. 
of the self-titled album in the history of the band. And the second season provides a 20th anniversary retrospective for Distill. Hopefully they will continue this podcast, but they missed the 20th anniversary of White Blood Cells last year. And then Richard Waterman said, but Ian, this is an industrial. Zine is our resident industrial expert. <laughs> That's all right. He's allowed to have a, a large uh, base of knowledge from which to uh, draw his musical tastes. I, I'll do a little history. I mean, people know this band. They're from Detroit, Michigan. They formed in 97. It was Meg White and Jack White, although Jack White's name is not Jack White. For future editions uh, of Trivial Pursuit, uh, Jack White's real name, or was at the time, Jack Black. Uh, Jack- Yes, Jack Black. Uh, no, Jack Gillis. Jack Gillis. He played in the Go prior to this, uh, oh, okay. for on one record. Uh, he was also in bands Goober and the Peas, and uh, a couple other ones: Two Star Tabernacle, The Henchmen. Um, and then obviously afterwards with the White Stripes, uh, he also formed uh, the Rock and Tours and the Dead Weather. And um, this album specifically was recorded in January of 1999 at Ghetto Records, Ghetto Recorders and Third Man Studios in Detroit, Michigan, with the assistance of Jim Diamond, who is a well-known producer in the Detroit, um, I guess, area, played in the Dirt Bombs as well. And it's just Jack and Meg. Uh, Johnny Walker, who is in the band, or is in the band, the Soledad Brothers, plays slide guitar on two songs, and he is credited with teaching Jack how to play slide. So that's and this was released on Sympathy for the Record Industry. Um, of course, following this, uh, you have. Still in 2000, White Blood Cells in 2001, Elephant in 2003, Get Behind Me, Satan in 2005, and Icky Thump in 2007. They're also like early seven inches, which if you can find them, good luck. They're expensive. Uh, He was actually, Jack was known, I I saw this in a documentary. It might have been the, it might get loud documentary with um, The Edge and uh who's the other guitar player jimmy page jimmy page where he talks about he used to work as an used to upholster furniture and on occasion he would hide like early white stripes seven inches in the upholstered furniture that he was working on so that someday people would find them and uh let me tell you last year someone did find one. Oh, really yes that's crazy yeah it's crazy there's a there i the one thing I know Jack White has somewhat of a reputation of of not always being the nicest guy, um, but I do appreciate his sort of Willy Wonka approach to to mm. rock and roll. <laughs> there is um, an aspect to that that's fun, and it, and when I saw him solo, he put on an amazing show. I mean, the, the band was absolutely on fire. Like his drummer is amazing. He has some great players and with him. Yeah, Darren um, Jones is his name. He's phenomenal. Yes, just absolutely murders the drums. I've yeah. I've rarely seen a person <laughs> attack their drums the way that he does. And the uh, snare is angled so far forward. Yes, like you, it's hard to believe he even makes contact with it. Yeah, he has a very odd set. I don't know if you've ever seen it, Jay, but his like setup as a drummer is like 
really wide and weird. Um, hmm. I don't know. How, I don't know how he came to that, but it's it's very interesting. Mm. Uh, and they had like TVs on stage that when they used keyboards or theremins and stuff like the TV would would shift what it was showing based on like what the music was doing. Like it was like tied in together. It was very hmm. psychedelic and uh, interesting. So. Enough about the band. Let's talk about the album. Jay, tell me one thing you liked about the 1999 self-titled uh, debut album by the White Stripes. I'm a big fan of uh, constraints on bands um, and then using that, you know, to spark creativity, to push yourself. Um, it doesn't always work. There's some bands that aren't able to pull it off. Obviously, this band has, you know, made it made a career out of pulling it off. Um I was surprised, particularly in this album being the first one, I was kind of going into this expecting it to be um, maybe a little thin sounding uh, or just production wise being a bit more lo-fi, but uh, it sounds great. And and the reason that's, I think, important is, again, this is a two-piece with limited overdubs. Um, yes, there are some two guitar parts or even three guitar parts occasionally, but for the most part, they stick to the format. Um, it busts out a piano here and there, but I really appreciate like just how big they can make things seem by doing very simple things. <laughs> um, so, you know, Meg's drums style is, you know, minimal, just one way to put it. Um, it almost feels like, um, I don't know, like childlike in a way, like just, uh, innocent energy and i think that comes through really well on this record when they you know sync up and do things that are you know dynamic and she'll just like hit a crash cymbal in the kick and he hits a big fuzzy chord and it sounds huge and when you think about it how little's going on there um it, it's pretty remarkable at times um you know they don't have a bass player on this they don't have tons of overdub guitars but yet just with performance and you know the right mic setup and a little bit of distortion and reverb it it has all of this energy that comes just punching through the speakers uh when they do that um i also like I, i've always been a fan of his voice you know at the time it really jumped out there weren't a lot of people that sounded like this in in modern rock um i've always thought of him as being like kind of a a simpler Robert Plant. Um, he has that same kind of like higher tone. Um, but you know, he can deliver, you know, a bit more of like a kinks like delivery, um, with a lot more attitude and, and, you know, minus the gymnastics that you would hear in Robert Plant, but just that like higher range voice, um, singing blues to me has always been reminiscent of, you know, a, a young Robert Plant. And at the time it just, keep that this band popped to me for that reason he just didn't sound like other singers um and i think on this record the songs that work the best are the ones that are really built around his vocal um when they're playing more with dynamics um they're letting the the vocal have space um and they're complimenting you know the guitar playing and meg's drumming is really all about like creating tension and and emphasis um, on the songs vocally. So, uh, I like that quite a bit too. I mean, it's, 
it's so few elements that um, they all really have to work. Uh, and I think that from a sonic standpoint, from an energy standpoint, production standpoint, um, performance standpoint, I think, you know, the, the basic elements they put together here really do deliver. That's some of the stuff that stood out to me. What about you, Tim? Well, I, I agree with you. I think the thing that I noticed going back to this, because I don't know that I had actually listened to this whole record. I've listened to White Blood Cells and Going Forward, all of, the, all of those records, but I don't know that I ever went back to this. And it's interesting to hear a band that feels so fully formed with such a minimalist approach. You can, I mean, you hear everything that makes up the white stripes and makes them interesting on this record, even though you're not getting like the big anthemic songs, all the elements are there. And I, what I in doing repeated listens on this record, the the thing that, you know, people talk about it being raw. It is, it's extremely raw, but it's not sloppy. Yeah. They're when they have to hit the one, they always hit the one, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's what makes this work is that because Jack White had played in a number of bands before, I mean, he knew how to play, even if he didn't know how to like play like Jimmy Page, he knew how to get the sound out of it and he knew how to get, you know, he covers songs by Sunhouse and Robert Johnson. He obviously internalized a lot of that playing and was able to bring it out in a in a new and interesting way that doesn't sound you know you talk about a guy from Detroit covering Robert Johnson and Sunhouse dressed in red and white clothes with you know you know it could go really bad and it could come off as real kitschy and real almost insulting if it's not done well but there's an authenticity to what he's doing and you're right about his vocal, and it's not just that his vocal hits so well, it's that there's a fully formed personality with that vocal. He knows how to use it just as expressively as his guitar and, and integrate that with Meg's primal drumming, that all these things in unison work really well together in a way that I was not expecting, you know, I saw 17 songs. I was like, oh boy, that's a lot of, that's a lot of songs. And yeah, some of them are a little samey. Um, like I said, he has, he hadn't perfected the riff yet, the way that he does in, in future years. Um, and they expand the sound a little bit here and there um, in ways that are, are, you know, more interesting, but just all the pieces and parts being here was really uh, 
a revelation in terms of uh, not going back to this until now and and getting to hear it all with fresh ears. So, Johnny, w- what attracted you to uh, bringing this record to us? Uh, first and foremost, I think the the notion that it was released in the nineties. <laughs> like, I just think that alone was enough of a, a showpiece for me that I had to do it. Right. So that like you would be convinced that that, that record came out in the two thousand, the early two thousand. Mm-hmm. So to see that in ninety nine, they they form in ninety seven. That comes out in ninety nine. It's just I don't know. They they played shows with Pavement. They opened for Pavement on a few of the of the um, uh, Terror Twilight shows. So I just like the idea that they're they're the initial White Stripes still has a, a foot in that previous generation of music. Yeah. Uh, it's for me. It's my favorite White Stripes. I just think it's it's raw and direct and energetic and nails are being boiled down. I just, I love the, the, he's never been this raw since like, to me, this is the very essence of the white stripes. This is how it always should be. And it, it didn't always end up that way. Um, I have no time for acoustic white stripes. I, I have very little time for piano led white stripes. I just want this fuzzed out guitar and this manic drumming and this sparse raw production. And we're off to the races for me. Uh, I just think this is, this is a a pretty fully realized debut, even though it's a two piece. Yeah. Yeah. I, I a hundred percent concur. Um, not with all that, but I, I, a lot of it, like, I, I do think, him as a songwriter had to expand to like the acoustic and the, and the piano mm-hmm. on certain songs, just because, you know, if you're going to write my doorbell, how's that going to work on an electric? You know what I mean? It's just, well, it's, I, I totally understand it. I just don't connect with it. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, this, I think this, not only is it at their most raw, I think it's at their most blues. Mm. I mean, they sort of creep away from that over time. There's still elements of of folkiness and bluesish in his playing, but in terms of some of these songs, when you listen to them, you you might think that more of them are covers of old blues songs than really are. You know, you might hear you might you know, sugar never tasted so good, or 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 some of these other ones. You might go, oh, that's a that's an old blues song, and you're like, oh no no, that's Jack White wrote that. Yeah. Until her eyes crossed over, until her mind crossed over, until her soul fell next to me. Now, if the wrinkle that is in your brain. Has given you quite a sting. Your fingers have become a crane, pulling on these puppet strings. But you know what? I want to touch on something you mentioned earlier. Isn't it interesting that here you've got this guy who's, you know, 
like you said, touching on Sunhouse, wearing red and white and black clothing, uh, white kid from Detroit playing this very uh, traditional sounding, but electrified blues. Yet, 10 years earlier, there's a little band called the John Spencer Blues Explosion, who gets a lot of flack. Uh, now, it's a different period of time, granted, but he took a lot of flack for being a white kid who went to a, a Ivy League university playing, a, again, a pretty stripped down form of blues, like a, like a real blues. And, uh, and, and yet Jack White actually was spared from any of those uh, critical arrows that I think uh, John Spencer uh, experienced. But yeah, it was, I don't, it's a different time. It is. I don't know why that happened in, in that way. I'd, ha I'd have to go back and, and sort of read some stuff. I don't remember reading stuff critical. I remember in, in like, in retrospect, like people have been critical of him, but I don't remember reading stuff at the time. I just might not have been, I mean, I was reading like Rolling Stone and I don't think they were covering, you know, John Spencer in the early nineties, the way that like some, some other places were, but I, I can't speak to John Spencer, but I think something that's just worth putting a emphasis on here is just how crystal clear and codified the idea and the concept of this band is at this point. Like when you, the album art, the image, the name, the way they performed on stage, the sound on the record, like it is all tuned in. Like there's a very specific, strong point of view. And like, here it is. This mm -hmm. is what it is. Yep. It is formed. Enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> like it's not, we're trying to figure it out. It's like, yeah. this is our thing. That's um, like Interpol. Like Interpol came out fully formed. Here it is. It's yeah. all there for you. Right. And, uh, underlying that is, I mean, as you can see by Third Man Records, like Jack White is a very hands-on, like controlling creative person. Like mm -hmm. he has a very specific vision of the way he wants to do things and mm -hmm. a level of quality and execution that you can see it here and you see it now. So like that may also contribute to like why it went over a little better in that he was orchestrating it all. Like it, none of this was happenstance. It feels very deliberate and like sophisticated. I mean, even though it's the first record and they're young, the whole, the whole trajectory from this point forward, like once he figured the concept out from that point forward, you know, the, the path it took seemed to be very well intended, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It also felt like, at the time, there was actually some mystery about the band. Like, mm -hmm. are they married? Are they brothers and sister? Like, where Which they... I'm sure was not an accident. Right. <laughs> and it, it felt like this was a another thing that was going to be significant in a way that we hadn't seen since, like, the 70s. Yeah. In terms of having a band that had mystique. Because the 90s were all about like dismantling mystique for a lot of bands. You know, Pearl Jam was dismantling their mystique at every possible level. Right. And this was like the last gasp of that aspect. Yeah. It's probably why I was excited by it. Right. <laughs> I mean, I just love that aspect of music that's now difficult to do. And you're right. Like, he, I believe he 
he knew that and manufactured it. That's why right. he changed his name to white and they dress the same and probably why, you know, he gravitated towards, you know, having a female drummer and like, I'm sure all of that sort of made sense to him and to the package he was trying to put together or they were trying to put together together as, you know, a creative team. Right. The only other band, I mean, Ghost does it now with regards to like, well, they, or they were yeah, for they a number did. of years. It got, it got blown by, yeah, the internet. Yeah. But the only other band where there was like, when the, when their first record came out was, I, I feel like the Arcade Fire had like this thing on that first record where they were like this band of like, they would play churches and they played like these weird venues and they would be almost like a part of the crowd by the end of the show. Like it was just this big musical celebration that was happening. And it was like, just for a brief moment, like, I don't know, maybe a year. And they did, they couldn't, it didn't get captured after that. But you I remember hearing stories and seeing like very crude early video of like them playing and it had that same sort of like, what's going on here? This is really, what is, who are these people? And it was, you know, some guys from, brothers from Texas who moved to Montreal. And it was just like this bizarre story. Because a lot of those, a lot of that stuff that was happening with the White Stripes, with, you mentioned Interpol, but a lot of those other bands didn't have like, a, like the Strokes didn't have a mystique. They were just like, these were all rich kids from New York and yeah. Oh, yeah. they wanted to be the Velvet Underground. So it didn't have like the same. And they were instantly on MTV too, which was super annoying. Uh, it didn't yeah. feel like there was any like work done to get there. It was just like, boom. It's again, uh, this, this band, you know, they, they, you know, they didn't really break until the third record. So they right. had like legit, they had done the road work. Like you said, they had played Bernie's. They were in Columbus a ton. That's another reason why I knew them um, touring the Midwest and putting the work in on for two records before they finally, you know, had a single on the radio and a video. So it built a, credibility as well what on the record jay or are there aspects of the record that don't work for you yeah i i don't think there's a whole lot of great i think there's a lot of competent songwriting and it does sound like a bit like mimicking like it hasn't quite from a songwriting standpoint found the voice the the consistent hooks the concise and powerful riffs. There are moments here and there, but largely through the record, I just found a lot of these songs to be forgettable. Um, so as I listen to them, I'm like, okay, you know, I like the sound of this. I like the idea. I like the presentation, but I'm walking away, not remembering any of these songs with the exception of the big three killed my baby is one that I think, you can hear right away. They start with the vocal hook. He's like, I know what the vocal hook is here. I'm going to hit you right away with it. And they build the rest of the song around it. He keeps reprising it. It's like, okay, like that's the way to write a, um, a concise, um, blues rock song. Uh, there's Astro's another good example of that. Astro.
super simple, right? And works great. Um, so I think, but the, then the other ones that popped are covers, like One More Cup of Coffee, cover, St. James Infirmary Blues, cover. So it's like the best, there's a couple songs in here that stuck with me when I walked away from the record and, and that they wrote and a couple that they didn't write. And the reason why I'm emphasizing that here is I think if you're going to go with a super simple, constrained presentation, that just puts more pressure that the songs have to be there. Like, you know, you're, you're not listening to this for, you know, guitar solos and, um, you know, long elaborate time changes and that sort of thing. Like, you're listening for punchy, high energy, raw rock and roll that has a hook. And I think just too often on this record, it just never gets to a hook. Um, and I, if it just feels like they're just, even though the, the vision is there, the songwriting craft is just not quite tuned in yet, which later on, you know, you can see that to start to emerge where like he turns those punchy, he turns some of these guitar riffs into like major hooks and writes songs that are super memorable and people sing at stadiums now, like he gets there, but I think on this record, the songwriting is just not consistently there. And a lot of the stuff does sound the same. And um, it sounds like, you know, passable blues with a really cool presentation. What doesn't work for you, Tim? Yeah, I, I agree with you because I think that there are aspects of the songwriting that show the potential, but you hear the crystallization of that in one to two more records and it's not that this is a bad record it's just clearly the debut where they're establishing their format establishing who they are but the and i don't need a seven nation army on every record Mm -hmm. i don't need that big of a but you mentioned about getting to the chorus first you know right up front with the big three kill my baby he does the exact same thing fell in love with a girl opens with the line fell in love with a girl. Like he hits that immediately. Hmm. And, but that's got a, and you know, from a presentation standpoint, standpoint, it's still just a raw guitar and vocal and drum, but he's able to layer different sections. You think about that song. There are, are the open that there's that opening hook. And then, you go into a chorus and you get back to that hook within like 30 seconds. I mean, that song is like two something. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like Sugar Never Tastes So Good. That's a really, I like that song. But they would, he would perfect sort of that uh, stripped down acoustic sort of yeah. song in a, in a much more concise and hooky way with like, we're going to be friends. So like there's there's aspects of this record where I go, oh, that's really cool, but he did it a little bit better later on. And there like Astro, I do like that aspect of there's just up tempo riffing and and him kind of letting loose in a way that he doesn't really do anymore. Um that 
the freedom of just being a guitar drum duo gave him. Um, yeah. But there's also songs like like Slicker Drips where it's like it's a lot of noise and it's not much of a idea. It's it's an idea without getting to the point. Yeah, yeah. To me, that sounded like uh, a throwaway jam. It, it reminded me of like, oh, this sounds like kids beating on instruments. Um, right. It didn't have that, which I'm sure, you know, if this was that in 97, like I would get that, like they're trying to get to this like primal, like super simple sound. And like, this would be an early step to that. But like in the context of this record, it feels like underdeveloped, like, okay, like I need a little bit more. And that's just a really good example of a, a song that I don't think is very good. nothing that would outright skip that is you know there could have been an easy diversion into like a noise track or something yeah, that would be yeah, utterly no, 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 like unlistenable no, no. and there's not anything like that i i liked listening to this whole record all the way through but i would agree with you like three or four songs would go by and i'd be like i don't remember what just happened yeah there wasn't a big there wasn't something that really stuck in my ear and it would happen every once in a while but i found myself too like when I did the pass to take notes, there were bits and parts of things that I would remember, but I didn't know what parts, what songs they were in. It just kind of all bled together. Like, oh, this is the song that had that, that guitar lead with the octave fuzz on it. That was kind of cool. Yeah. But like I didn't, I, it, I had to piece all that together, like consciously going through it and writing it down because so much of it just blended together. Have we um, stomped on your favorite record or, or do you have some <laughs> nitpicks with this, Johnny? Listen, these are all fair points and I don't think anybody would disagree with you. I think, yeah, uh, there, are, there are a few songs on here that just, it's too samey. Uh, the songwriting is not fully fleshed out for sure, but there's just something to 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 cherish and to hold on to of the the rawness and the the, you know, the youth, the youth of it all uh mm-hmm. it, it's it's going to hold up well i think through the years and we're all, i think we'll look back fondly on this record 10 years from now um but i i don't really disagree with anything you said i think that's it's all fair but uh i think the pros outweigh the cons for sure i agree yeah and i, I think that this was such a great reset in a lot of ways for alternative and indie music you know i had to say to call it alternative but like underground had basically been co-opted in such a you know dramatic way in the 90s that there was what was underground wasn't underground anymore and everything was getting you know 
picked up by a major for maybe an album and then getting dropped again. And this felt like like a legitimate, completely new direction that had never been approached in terms of, you know, you can say John Spencer, but he got away with it. There was a, there was a bit more um, drama and, and performance yeah. in, in his, you know, it was less more showmanship. Yeah. It was more spastic. Yeah. This feels like very, like much tighter and focused. So I think that was important for in terms of what happened going forward. It's weird that, um, you know, so many bands evolved out of this in, in terms of like the black keys and, and stuff that, uh, there's really been no, there was, you know, with grunge, you know, you had, Pearl Jam, then you had like the second wave of like Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains style bands and and that kind of stuff. And maybe a third wave. I don't really think there was like a second wave of bands like this. Even though they got big, there was no Yeah, um, not really. There wasn't really a, another wave that happened. But of course, Jack White was infuriated by the rise of the Black Keys and he felt like they completely are riding coattails here. So much so that he moves to Nashville, they move to Nashville. He opens up a studio, they open up a studio. Like, it infuriates him. Which is, I don't, when was the first Black Keys record? I don't even know. Oh, one? Let's see. Well, again, that's the same. come up? Actually, 2002. 2002. Um, Did, Did they form in Akron? That area yeah. or did they form somewhere else? So yeah. I mean, this is all the same area. Yeah. I it's saw a, them open for Sleater Kinney uh here. I mean, it's entirely possible that a couple kids from Akron, Ohio saw the white stripes oh yeah on an early tour and were like, I want to do that. Well well, but also you brought it up early, Tim. I mean, this was a this was a scene in the we can say for sure, because we were living in Columbus. I mean, there were other bands that that you mentioned that were very similar to this or could be on the same bill doing, you know, uh, close enough style, you know, stripped down blues based fuzzed out like punky blues. So this was a thing that a lot of bands were, were doing. They just happened to do it way better than anybody else. So, I mean, the black keys could have been part of those bands and I don't know, I don't know their history, but I don't necessarily stay up. You know, they're not wearing red and white. And <laughs> what was the name of the band? Because I, I remember it was the Quadrajets that when when the White Stripes were happening, people were like, ah, oh, they're just doing what the Quadrajets were doing. Yeah. Years ago. Yeah. I and I was like, thing. yeah, but I never heard of the Quadrajets. <laughs> right. The flat duo jets. Or flat jute was that what it was? Yes, Dex Romweber. So basically, Jack has always looked at him as a huge source of inspiration. And there were two pieces from I want to say Athens, Georgia, I think. 
and you know i think continued to play shit that shows not till you know up until very recently so uh flat duo jets is the that's it i don't know who the quadrajets are i just made that up maybe that's the band, I can... is the band we're putting together next year big guy excellent <laughs> we'll get steven musinski on bass and no, you can't uh, have bass and rain oh Mada. shit we can't have bass and rain made or... we... <laughs> your other option is it's only bass and you there gotta, we go. Like, add some fuzz and like a high string to the bass. Do a big bottom thing. Yeah. Awesome. Like real blood. Yes. Uh, so. 99, it's not surprising that this record wasn't like a radio breakthrough and it would take a couple records. It is pretty still surprising that that fell in love with a girl was such a big hit i think that michael gondry video probably helped push them because that was still when videos were a thing yeah yeah i think it's really more it's just it's just a video led inspiration really I, I don't think the song on itself is is really going to turn many cranks i think it's the the video was such a sensation yeah and i remember at the time like i said i was aware of the band prior to that and it kind of surprised surprised me a little bit that they actually even broke you know that when that video started getting getting played and that i mean that was on the radio that song was on the radio too it was it made sense that the song was strong enough but it also i felt like a little surprised that this band that was kind of weird and so you know minimalist would ever break through it just seems like counter to uh you know, what was going on in music at the time. It, it seemed like, okay, well, that's a cute song, but they're do- that's not going to come back. And then Seven yeah. Nation Army happens, and you're like, it, oh, shit, this is going to be, this is a seem, band that's going to be around. They seemed too raw. It seemed like we were getting, like everything was getting more and more pro- polished by right. this point, and it just seems so counter to have a band that was this raw be able to cut back through after, like, you know, rock and roll had been, you know, turned into new metal or popped out at that point and was almost extinct. So it was a bit of a shock to me. I mean, he was pretty much able to like track one of each record following this was able to come up with a pretty, pretty killer single. Like you have Seven Nation Army on um, Elephant and then Get Behind Me Satan. That opens with Blue Orchid, which I remember that was a big radio single. They also had My Doorbell as the second single. And then on Icky Thump, um, it opens with Icky Thump, which was a big single. And I think Rag and Bone was another single off of that one. Yeah, that was the second single. And it was just like, he just keeps coming up with these riffs that they, you sh- I don't know where he's getting them, <laughs> but they're pretty cool. Yeah. And they just, they kept, he just kept, was able to keep making enough of a, 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 a lead radio single to keep them going in a way that you were like this, there's no way that this band should be doing this, but I guess they are. Um, Did you have a chance to see them live? I never saw the band live. I've only seen Jack live. Mm-hmm. I listened to the live album one of the live albums um i did not enjoy it really yeah it felt like uh 
the dynamics that they capture on the record is just live. It's it's too over the top, and it didn't have the same feel to me. Yeah, I saw that noisy, noisy and sloppy. Yeah, I agree. Back when um, HDNet was a thing, and they would have all the music festivals where you could just watch music festivals all day from different like i'm pretty sure there was a white stripes performance from the early 2000s and i remember them playing there was some song it might have been seven nation army to be honest and his playing was so sloppy live yeah that i was like i guess that's the thing but on the records it's like just right there on the edge and yes that was my on the live stuff i was like oh this is too sloppy like it's now just a mess and there's no nobody else there to help cover (laughs) you know it's one thing if you got a three-piece and like one of the guitar players is kind of sloppy and the other one can cover or they bounce back and forth or you know you at least got bass or organ to kind of fill in the mid but when you're a two-piece on a big stage and i don't know you got to be pretty tight all the time so i didn't i didn't enjoy the live experience yeah yeah i have to say the same uh let's get to our overall ratings on this record we'll reveal the patreon poll results at the end but jay where do you land were the album better ep or decent single on the self-titled album by the white stripes i'm landing at an ep like i said you know, there's nothing on here where you're going to, um, that's terrible. I mean, there's no like material that's way off base or like noise tracks or just dumb stuff that, you know, we would just chop. I just think I get the concept of the band. Um, and this particular phase through an EP. So I would go with big three killed my baby, which I think is a great song. I think the lyrics are really interesting. I don't know how many other bands were <laughs> writing songs about the auto industry. Um, <laughs> Canon, uh, Astro, uh, One More Cup of Coffee. You know, I think they can do covers really well. Little People, St. James Infirmary Blues. Um, I love the, I like, I like the piano. It, it kind of makes me think of like Tom Waits, what, you know, obviously a different, vocal style but it had that same kind of musical quality to it and i fought piranhas um i think is one of the better like mid-tempo creepy blues riffs on the record so that's my ep how about you tim i i agree with you I, i'm probably at an album just because i i'm like those songs plus i would add jimmy the exploder i like that and sugar never tastes so good i probably i'm more in like the nine to 10 range, which is a still an album, I think, even though it's a short album for this band, but, um, nothing that I would necessarily say, this is not, you know, a good song. It's just the ones I want to listen to on repeat are, are probably the nine or 10 that have been brought up. So Mr. Hooper. Yeah, I'm with you, Tim. I just, uh, it's about nine or 10 there for me as well. I, I, the record couldn't start off in a better fashion for me than Jimmy the Exploder. I mean, that perfectly sets the tempo for me. Totally gets me going every time I hear that. So, um, 
a worthy album for sure. I mean, yeah, there's it, it extends itself slightly, but there's no there's no track that's so out of line that you you know you would cut it from an album. It's just it just it's not it's not necessary, but it's fine that it's there. Right. Yeah. Well, the majority of our voters agreed with the worthy album uh, decisions by you and me. They wrote they, it was a seventy seven percent. For Worthy Album, 23% with Jay at Better EP. No decent single votes on this one. So, Jay, you lose. Sorry. I'm a Cleveland fan. I'm used to it. I can handle it. There you go. If anyone's built for it, uh, it's you. <laughs> if there's anybody in this room built to lose. <laughs> I'm, your, out I'm your man. Take a loss with pride and... You'll, 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 you'll learn something from it and take it forward to the next loss. I want to uh, mention uh, any Apple Music. I don't know if Spotify does this, but Apple Music has animated album covers now. And um, the White Stripes ones are kind of fun. They went back and did fun little animations um, for each record cover. So, Of course. I assume that Jack White has his hand in every little <laughs> possible... I, I know. I shouldn't be surprised. He probably, you know, did it himself. But Doesn't he make his different. employees wear, like, lab coats down at that third man <laughs> uh, plant? And, like, they have, like... They have, like, probably. that booth where you can go in and, like, cut a record. Yeah. I mean, he's just... He, like I said, he's like the Willy Wonka of, of rock and roll. Uh... He's and just even like the white stripes roadies had like, you know, proper suits and like boulder hats and like it's <laughs> just so awesome. Those guys were probably like, uh, you you realize you need to pay us more for this. Oh my god. <laughs> I got I gotta liver I got a, a lift a 300 pound uh box of amps yeah. in a in a derby hat and a tuxedo. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that was happening when they were playing Bernie's. I'm pretty sure they were loading their van <laughs> right. or, their, or their station wagon or whatever they were using for gear back then. There was no, uh, there were no roadies in, in uniforms uh, for that. So hopefully they didn't get uh, spit on too much <laughs> and had to, had to claim, change the white shirts and red pants or whatever they were in uniform that night because uh, Bernie's could be brutal. But uh, we miss it regardless. Uh, Johnny, thank you so much for bringing this. This is a great uh, record that crosses over uh, the threshold into the 2000s. So great pick. Very much appreciate it. Listen, I'm just going to quote Josh Homme here. I want to come on this show and be unhecklable. Okay. I'm not going to bring <laughs> that record. To the table. I like that. Yeah. Unhecklable? Hecklable? Hecklable. Hecklable. Yeah. Uh, well, you've done good. Thank you. And uh, if you would like to do good as well, uh, I would suggest uh, maybe uh, maybe donating a or uh, or uh, donating to your local uh, pet shelter or uh, adopting a shelter pet, but also joining our Patreon if you uh, if you don't want to get a pet right now. Uh, I was just thinking of Betty White passing away recently and that everybody was donating on her uh, birthday uh, to because uh, she was a big uh, advocate. So that was why I was on my brain. But uh, 
Patreon is also on my brain. And uh, that's where you go to support the podcast, join the Discord, vote on albums that we will review, vote on uh, ratings for albums that other people pick. And also, depending on what level, you can pick our roundtables, you can pick our 80s episodes. That's right, 80s episodes every other month. Uh, picked by our board of directors and our uh what's the other level what's the what's the level called board of directors and uh steering committee committee. that's right thank you jay and uh it's also where you get the box newsletter you can read it every weekend or you can have it delivered to your email inbox two new reviews of new releases music books and uh music books and movies related to the 80s and 90s need some new uh, i need to get that uh, i need to get a, a screener of that tom and uh, tommy lee and uh, pamela anderson uh, tv show <laughs> uh i i i'm very intrigued that nick offerman and seth rogan are in it yeah yeah and i also just found out that jason manzukis the excellent actor from uh, The Good Place and Brooklyn Nine-Nine is the voice of Tommy Lee's unit. Yes, you heard me correctly. Is that the name of his band in the movie? Or? Nope. His manhood speaks. It's voiced by Jason Manzukis. This is a, uh, is that a Hulu series? Yes. Okay. Starring Sebastian Stan, better known as the Winter Soldier. Yeah. And uh, I forget the actress's name, but she's been in other stuff. But she doesn't look anything like Pamela Anderson, but somehow looks exactly like Pamela Anderson. Yeah. In the uh, in the trailer, which is amazing. Anyway, looking forward to watching that. I'm sure it's going to be a hoot. Can we just mark that this was the moment that Dig Me Out hit a brand new low? Why is that? What? You're talking about Tommy Lee's unit. <laughs> His unit. Speaking. His, uh... Hey, okay. We didn't write the movie. This yeah. needs to be edited out. Sorry, do you, not, do you not want this sullying up your episode? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I just said, I just went on a rant about being unheckable, and you start talking about Tommy Lee's unit. <laughs> Look, you're going to elevate and I'm going to I'm going to help bring it down. That's right. We're going to meet right in the middle, right Look, in the middle somewhere. We're rock and roll critics. We got to talk about we got to talk about what's out there. The highest Share highs opinions. and the lowest lows. Got to got to give those hot takes. They can't, yeah. can't all be uh, it can't all be uh, winners. Some of them are losers, losers. <laughs> <laughs> funny how that works it's weird uh the box newsletter like i mentioned sign up for it and um you can suggest an album at digmeoutpodcast.com we'll put it in our hopper and vote on it in a future month and apple podcast is where you go to at least some positive feedback on the podcast for jay i'm tim route we'll be back next week with no more talks of units on another episode <laughs> of Dig Me Out.